But the theme tonight that I'm going to come with is the five ways to look at the love of God. By the end of this lesson, I want you to see that before the beginning of time, all that was on God's mind was love. Everything he did and does flows from the fact that he is love. The entire Bible is a love story, and we are at the heart of his affections. When we can embrace and surrender to this love, our lives are transformed, and we can then see the true beauty of salvation and where we are in the place of God. So we're going to break down the five different vantage points of love. The first one is God's love spills over all he made. God's love spills over all he made. In Genesis 1 and 31, it said God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. Creation is an outpouring of love, an overflow of love from heavens to earth. Creation not only declares the inventiveness and resourcefulness of God, but reveals the abundance of his love. Creation declares that humans are born of love, for love, created in the image of a God who is love. Love is our source, and love is to be our fulfillment. Humans were made for an intimate communion with their head over heels in love creator. When you read that God hovered over the earth, I want you to see his spirit embracing the earth and everything that flowed out of him was love. Created from love and for love, humans snubbed God's love and traded it for what was perceived to be freedom. The results were disastrous. Liberty was instantly replaced by bondage, intimacy by alienation, Genuine love was reduced to self-love, and the results were egocentricity, estrangement from our deepest self, God, and others. So one might ask, did God stop loving us up until Jesus came, since we messed the whole thing up? But no, he didn't. The only thing that changed was fellowship, because in him, no darkness can dwell. So he was kind. And he came with a plan, because he couldn't stop loving us. That's just who he is. So God, in his infinite love, could not let the estrangement continue. So he needed us to get back in fellowship with him. He figured, as well-intentioned as we may be, without his son, we would fail. So here came Jesus. Number two. The second way to look at his love. The love the father has for the son. The love the father has for the son. And the son for the father. In essence, he is in love with himself. Isn't that nice? Ah, he's in love with himself. John 3, 35 and 36. It says, the father loves the son extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so he could give it away, a lavish distribution of gifts. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the son gets in on everything, life complete and forever. 
And that is also why the person who avoids and distrusts the son is in the dark and doesn't see life. All he experiences of God is darkness, and an angry darkness at that. When all we see is an angry God, we cannot experience life, and we live in darkness. We've got to turn our view of God to love instead of anger. John 5 and 19. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything. We are the children of God. We are to be included in everything he does. But we aren't to do anything independently. That's where we often go wrong. John 14 and 31. But so the world might know how thoroughly I love the Father. I am carrying out my Father's instructions right down to the last detail. And this one, he was on his way to the cross. See, we're supposed to have the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Our relationship is supposed to mimic it. But if we had that kind of surrender to God, then we would live in his love and we would know we are included in everything that God has designed. I follow God's instructions to the last detail to show him how much I love him, not to stay away from hell. Change your motive. Why are you really serving him? Out of love's sakes or out of fear? John 14 and 20. At that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. For we don't doubt that God loves the Son. We would never say he don't love Jesus. The problem is we don't believe he loves us like he loves Jesus. That's the problem. Because if we believe that we are in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, how could he not love what is a part of him? How could he not? That's why in Ephesians 5, 29 through 31, I know it's a lot of scriptures, but I was a little overwhelmed by the whole thing. Um, it says, no one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. This is the mystery, that the two shall become one. We are one with the Father. God is in love with himself, so God is in love with you. See, that's what we've got to take in. To that degree, that he's loving you like he loved his own son. Can you absorb that and take that into your being? Can that be your identity? That he's loving you like that. It's crazy. The third stance, God's redemptive stance toward his fallen world. God's redemptive stance toward his fallen world. In John three sixteen and 17, 
This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all that trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. And when you think of the world, don't just think of the place, but also think of the moral order, that it was a willful and culpable rebellion against God. So God's love is to be admired, not because it ex is extended to so big a thing as the world, but to so bad a thing. Not to so many people as to such wicked people. That's admirable, that he went through all this for such wicked people. Ezekiel 33 and 11. Tell them, as sure as I am the living God, I take no pleasure from the death of the wicked. I want the wicked to change their ways and live. Turn your life around. Reverse your evil ways. Why die, Israel? Ezekiel 18, 21 through 23. But a wicked person who turns his back on that life of sin and keeps all my statues, living a just and righteous life, he'll live, really live. He won't die. I won't keep a list of all the things he did wrong. He's not keeping the list. He will live. Do you think I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked men and women? Isn't it my pleasure that they turn around, no longer living wrong but living right, really living? I think we get so caught up in believing that God wants to get us that we miss why he even came. He came to seek and to save that is lost. If he just wanted to get us, he could have stayed in glory and just sent us all to hell. He really didn't have to come up with the plan. He could have just said, go on. Y'all messed up the first time. Forget you people. Go where you deserve to be. But he couldn't do that because he is nothing but love. He takes no pleasure in harming us, but he cannot deny his justice. We act like he hasn't shown us the plan. All we have to do is live in it, and we're safe. For eternity, we are safe. That's a lot of love to give us the plan, to make it so plain and so clear, so that we wouldn't trip, so that we wouldn't fall. Here, this is just what I want you to do. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to throw a little Mickey in there. I really want you people just to be with me. Yet we keep thinking it's a game. And he's playing a little hide and seek and somehow we gonna miss it. Cause he don't really, really love us like that. And he don't really, really want me that bad. Individually that bad. We can say in the totality, yeah, Jesus is love, God is love. But do you take that and make it very individual? Do you personalize how much God loves you? 
if you can turn from yourself, the self that thinks your will is better than God's, and turn toward his good and perfect will, you have it made. But is you deciding that your will really isn't better? And that God really does have the right plan? Because know that he just wants to love you. That's just the point. Nothing more, nothing less, just that. Lavishly, though. Extravagantly. Not like a little bit. But like crazy kind of love. The fourth way we can look at God's love. God's effective selecting love towards his elect. God's effective selecting love towards his elect. Okay, Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant and holy. John 14 and 21. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and make myself plain to him. Verses 23 through 24. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you are hearing isn't mine. It is the message of the Father who sent me. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessings in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in his mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. See, what you got to do is go back and really meditate on what these words are really saying until you get it. Until you really say, I believe he loves me like that. Instead of skipping over the words and saying, man, that is deep. Wow, how beautiful. But then you just keep going. But you don't take it in. Remember, this is not about you being able to say I read it. It's about you being able to say I experienced it. Because if you can't say you've experienced his love like this, then you need to keep crying out to him until you get it like this. And the amazing thing is that he's kind enough to keep showing himself 
until you embrace him back. And nine times out of ten, it's going to take us many, 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 many times. Because one of the hardest concepts for us to embrace is truly how much God loves us. It actually makes us a little sad that he loves me like that. I'm not really happy. I'm sad because so much of me believes I don't deserve that. So I'm like, why are you wasting your love on me? Why are you doing that? Because I can't live up to what you want of me. And because I truly believe that, I walk around sad with the hope that somehow I'll get it. But most of the time, I will not admit that I don't believe it. And until I can admit that fact, that I don't believe that God loves me like that, I will never know his love. I will never experience what it feels like. I will never know how I can feel the embrace of God here on earth and literally feel his arms around me. Like I can lay on his shoulder and I know he has me. Not figuratively, literally feel it. Literally. Like a month or two ago, I was reading, look, you guys know I don't know where nothing is. The Psalms about the shepherd. Yeah, they all walk through the shadow of the, I should know where that is. Now that's pathetic. (laughs) But y'all know what I'm talking about. The first time I read that and literally sat there and could feel him embracing me. The most amazing feeling I've ever felt. It it is amazing. Because how can I doubt it then? But I really wanted it. I really wanted to have the experience of love. Not just read about it, not just like, yeah, but to really feel it. Like, it's like you can't even explain. Just excited about the whole thing. And until you can feel his love like that, we're never going to get where we were supposed to be. Because it was never supposed to be about him being mad at us. It was supposed to be about us knowing he loved us, that all of this was done for love, because he so desperately wanted a relationship with us that he went to all this extravagancy just to get fellowship back. The only reason. Created for love and by love. That's why we were created. No other agenda. Just wanted some folks he could commune with. So imagine the heartbreak of God when he was chilling with Adam and Eve, talking to them, cool of the day, anytime he wanted to. They had like, and then all of a sudden, imagine his heartbreak. So we always see the, the flaming sword. Help me out, babe, throw out something now. <laughs> <laughs> We always see that as his anger towards Adam and Eve. But really what it was, do you imagine how heartbroken he was? How he shed a tear that you guys chose a doggone tree? You would listen to the serpent? And I've been just walking and talking with you. My presence just encapsulated you. 
and you could then listen to a serpent? That's pain, you guys. That's not anger. That is pain. He only put the little swords there because you can't mess up the plan. Remember, it's only because he can have no darkness in him. He can't deny that about himself. The same way he can't deny justice is the same way he cannot deny his love. They work together. Change your mind. Let that penetrate your mind. Let how much he loves you penetrate your mind. That this plan was a plan for fellowship and intimacy and love. That's it. That's pretty amazing. That he would go through all that just to have us. Wow. So then, with his plan, he knew that he had to send himself in the form of love, in the body of Jesus, just to get us back. So we're imagine again the agony of him. Up there, knowing he got to now send himself down here to get us back. He loves and needs us so that he put himself in deeper agony and put himself on the cross. He allowed himself to be separated from himself to gain a relationship with you. He separated himself from himself just to have you. And then he sent down his spirit to reside in us so we never have to be separated again. That's a love story. That is pure love. God doesn't like separation. He likes intimacy and he likes relationships. That's why he gets so frustrated when we mess up. Because he's like, no. Because if you mess up, then I have to. Just separate myself. I don't want to be separated. I want you. Like Andre said in the last retreat, what is separating you from the love of God? Because he can't be, he can't, he's not the one separating. It's us. Because he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Be with us always, no matter where. So what is it that you keep separating from him? Why are you separating from him? What is your gain in separating from him? Because you perceive that you're gaining more than what his love has to offer. Every time we choose something other than his plan, you're saying that I have something better than what the love of God has to offer me. So no, it's you. It's not him. The fifth way. God's love is magnified in obedience God's love is magnified in obedience, which leads to fellowship with Christ. Jude 20 through 21. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our master Jesus Christ. 
This is the unending life, the real life. Are your arms open and outstretched towards God? Or are you holding on to something with clenched fists? What are you clenching on to that makes you not be able to open your arms to God? Figure that out. What are you clenching on to? Do you undoubtedly accept the mercy of God? Without doubt, do you believe his mercy is all over you? If the answer is no, then why even pray in the spirit? Because the point of the spirit praying is to be in the center of God's love. That's why we do all that. The speaking in the tongues is to be in the center of God's love. If your arms are not stretched out wide, ready to be in his center, if you don't undoubtedly accept his mercy, why are you doing all the praying in the spirit? For your show? To show everybody else, oh, you got it? John 15, 9 through 10. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Honestly, do you feel like you're home in God's love? Or do you feel like a visitor from time to time? Do you walk in every room that God has opened and lavishly relax in the knowledge and presence of his love? If not, then why keep the commandments? The point of obedience is relationship and love. You keeping the commandments to try to keep yourself out of hell? He's not impressed. He set all this up just so that you would have fellowship. We missed it. So if you're not trying to be at home in this love and embrace all this, go on and do what you want to do. Because what's the point? God is not playing games. I mean, when he devised a plan, he had a plan. Because we want to tweak it and make it fit the way we want it to fit and stay in our comfort zone, don't mean he's changing his plan. We hoping. We got every part of our body crossed, hoping that our plan is going to work. And he's like, okay, I see him trying. But you're missing it. He wants you at home in his love. When you are at home, you are relaxed. You're not trying not to go into certain rooms. It's your house. You ain't trying to dress up. You ain't trying to be cute. You sit any way you want. You talk any way you want. You're just at home. We're not like that in the love of God. We all pissed up and scared and trying to come up with the right language. When we going to relax? And you can only relax when you know that he got you. That he's like, oh, yeah, that's my girl. That's my guy. We got it like that. This is what he wanted us to get. This is it. Exodus 20 and 6. 
but I'm unshakably loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Unshakably loyal. He's loyal, are you? Do you think God feels betrayed that you won't allow yourself to be at home intimately with him? He's a little betrayed. That you won't let him love you so that you can love him back? We learn how to love him by allowing him to love us. If you don't let him love you, you will never be able to love him. It simply does not work the other way around. And that is why, though we sing, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you know you're my everything. I love you, I love you, I love you. If you can't say he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, then your love is inadequate because he must teach you how to love him. And he teaches you through experience. I'm not going to even just tell you. Because I wrote it down. And you could read it. Y'all know how to read and comprehend. But he said, then I'm going to just show you. Because I know sometimes you get a little scared. But we won't take it in. We still like, wait, Jesus, that's too much. I don't want to go that far. It's uncomfortable. Though I know what I could possibly gain. Maybe, sort of. Yeah. Can you work in my perimeters? And he's like, you want to stay here? Then you'll never know me. And if you never know me, you will never be able to love me. You choose. Psalms 103, 8 through 14. God is sheer mercy and grace. Not easily angered, he is rich in love. Sheer mercy and grace. You can see straight through it. He don't have an agenda. He's not trying to fool us. He's not saying, I got mercy and grace following you, and I keep pulling him back. It's there. Every day. It's sheer. Not easily angered. Contrary to what we believe. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. Yet we cannot let it go. We nag and scold ourselves, and he's like, and you think that's Jesus. He's like, I ain't even said nothing. You beating your own self up. He does not treat us as our sins deserve nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. Wow. Because we've all done some stuff. And he said, I'm not going to even pay you back in full. I'm going to just, all right, let me show you that ain't acceptable. Because full payment would just be like, boo, go to hell. But he's not going to do that. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. Fear him, reverence him, in awe of him, worship him. 
That's what fear means. Not scared. As far as sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. You carry them on your back, and he separated them. You see your sins forever before you, and he don't see them. That's why we, another reason why we can't accept the love. Because we see our sins forever before us. And he's like, all right, they're there. You're here. We're going to work it out. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He knows us inside and out. Keeps in mind that we were made of mud. He's like, all poor things. Let me keep helping them. I know I got the spirits in them. They still flipping and flopping. Let me help them a little more. They just mud that I created for love and by love. Verses 17 and 18 of the same 103. God's love, though, is never, is ever, excuse me, and always eternally present to all who fear him making everything right for them and their children as they follow his covenant ways and remember to do whatever he said. Ever and always. And what did he say? He said to love me with all your strength and might. That's what I really want. Two greatest commandments. Can you do them? Can you concentrate on them? We have nothing to worry about if we can make ourselves at home in his love. When we know he loves us so extraordinarily and extravagantly and endlessly, we then desire to do his will because we then know that he would do nothing to harm us. But I want you to know that even if you decide not to follow his will. He cannot stop loving you. Even if he has to send you to hell, he still loves you. Imagine how sad he feels when he has to send the ones he created for love and by love to hell. Mm. To a place of no return in a complete estrangement the very thing he created, the plan not to do. Imagine his sorrow. Because remember, he took no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Hmm. Like he said to Israel, why die when you can live? Why choose that? Why choose death? Why choose to not know and live in this kind of love. Why choose that? Only you can answer that question. But it's a choice that you are consciously making when you say, I don't want your love. Not like that. Tomorrow I'm going to explore the reasons why choosing his love is such a hard choice for us. But ask him to show you how much he loves you. Ask him to make that clear to you. He really will do it. 
Ask him to let his presence minister love to your total being, the totality of you, to let him walk in every room of your heart. This is why we worship, so that the love of God will encircle us and mesmerize us completely in him. This is why we come with hands stretched, hearts broken, in deep surrender saying, God, show me you. I want to know you. Because then he can encircle me with his love. I then become in a fog because I've been loved like that. Remember, it's the experience that we take away. It is you not leaving the same way you came. That's the point of every meeting, for you not to leave the same way you came, for you to say, I had an experience with God. Not just I got some knowledge about him, but I got an experience with God that I can take with me for forever. That's the whole point of everything that we do. I want you to have an experience. So whatever you have to do, you do that. If you need to scream or cry, sit on the floor, go to the back of the room, I really don't care. I just want you to walk away different. I want something in you to get broken so God can fix it. Right here today. Because that's how quick he can work and that's how much he wants to touch us. Amazing. 